we're back in Galatians. Quick refresher, right? Paul wrote this letter. The writer, he wrote the letter for a reason. He states it early on. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Teaching had come to Galatia. They were trying to force people to be circumcised and said, unless you do that, you're not really saved. And the trouble is the church was starting to go that way. He began his letter and he really hit hard the fact that his gospel, the one he preached to them, the one they believed, he didn't get it from anyone except Jesus Christ himself, which you may find shocking to hear since Paul and Jesus never met before Jesus' resurrection. Paul gives testimony, man, over and over and over again. Christ met him on a road to Damascus. Christ saved him. Christ taught him. What he said specifically is, I didn't receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says it needs to be believed and not rejected. Uh, we're going to reread his second visit to Jerusalem, which is in the opening verses of chapter 2, but we're not going to focus on that. Instead, we're going to focus on some trouble that happened in Antioch, and it's all about hypocrisy. It's all about hypocrisy. And so our theme this morning is going to be asking our hearts, asking the Lord to show us, Lord, are we living as hypocrites? Or are we living with integrity before you? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that our hearts and our minds and thoughts would be open and available to you this morning, that your word would instruct. Father, if need be, lead us to repentance. If there's hypocritical ways within us and our lives, expose them for our own good. Help us to be people of integrity. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, reading at verse 1, I'll go 1 to 10, comment briefly, and then really pick it up at 11. Again, Paul described After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is to all the Greek-speaking people, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that means to the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter's other name, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So just pointing it out, right? Paul's saying they added nothing to my message. Did you pick that up? And they added nothing, he says. They recognized our ministry. They perceived God's grace was working through Paul and Barnabas. And it says they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They, they really welcomed Peter, James, and John, head of the church, welcomed Paul and Barnabas as fellow, essentially peers, with them in ministry. Now, what's with all the seemed language? Did you notice that? They seemed influential. They seemed influential. Didn't matter to me. They seemed to be pillars. We'll get to that later. It's significant. So that's the prelude. It looks like they're in a good spot, doesn't it? They've had a good meeting. They're on the same page. Shook hands. Jerusalem and Antioch, sort of Jerusalem, the Greek church, the Hebrew church, seem to be one in accord here. This is a good thing. Now we're going to watch it almost blow up. Okay, verse 11. But when Cephas, again, that's the Apostle Peter's, his other name, came to Antioch. Antioch was a major city, third biggest one in the Roman Empire, the head of a substantial church, which sent Paul and Barnabas out. And for decades, maybe even centuries, I don't know my church history that well, became a significant hub of the Christian faith in there. So it's a major place. It's not like a little podunk town. Peter comes to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Hypocrisy can destroy a church. That's exactly what was happening in Antioch. Hypocrisy was driving a wedge right through this precious body of believers. Let me ask you this. Who's your audience? When you live your life, who's your audience? If you've ever taken a kid to like a music thing, a younger kid, or maybe taken them to a uh, maybe if they play flag football or they do some sport or they're at some elementary school concert, what do they do when they're on the stage and there's all the sea of parents in the audience? What do they do? Who do they look for? They usually look for mom or dad, especially if they think they're going to be there. They scan and then when they see them, they go like this and you wave back and they go, put your hand down, you know, because there's a whole group of kids up there. In their minds, there's a sea of people, but their audience is mostly one person. It's mom or dad. True in the sporting events. You know, they look on the sidelines, stranger, stranger, stranger. There's my mom. There's my mom. Who's your audience? Who are you trying to impress? That's your audience. Now, here's the trick. We as a church are audience to one another. But then when you leave here, you might have a spouse, you might have coworkers you try to impress, you might have bosses, there might be other people in your life, friends, especially when you're uh, younger in life, you're often trying to impress your friends. 
Hypocrisy has a whole lot to do with you forgetting that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only audience in your life that matters. You're living your life for his eyes only. His eyes, the pleasure of God, that's really your audience. And the second we get off that axis and we look at one another and we look at other people and we say, well, they're really who I want to impress. That's when hypocrisy starts to take form. Let's look at three forces that generate the hypocrisy in Antioch. Because they're present in the church, and by extension, they affect everything. The first is really obvious. It's bad teaching by powerful people. Bad teaching by powerful people is what's happening here. Certain men came from James. Paul called them the party of circumcision. Look, bad, bad, bad teaching happens all the time. But if people don't have power or influence, it doesn't usually go that far. But bad teaching by people who are powerful generates a lot of hypocrisy in the church because what do we want to do to people who are powerful? We want to impress them. We want to go along with them. So there's this bad teaching that's coming into this congregation in Antioch, and they're getting the most basic question wrong. The most basic question of human existence is this, what must I do to be saved? How does a, a sinful man like me get right with the holy God? That's the, like the crux, the most basic question. The question, because if I get a peace with God, I'm good. If I'm with the Lord and I'm saved, I'm good, no matter what trials come my way. And Paul said the basic answer to that question is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And they said, well, 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 hold on, Paul. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's good. But then you must become circumcised. You must eat certain foods. You must become entered into the covenant of Abraham. So that's the teaching that's coming in. That teaching is gone today. It's been replaced by other ones. The question is this, right? And we'll hit this theme again and again. Anytime you're told, well, there is one more thing you need to do. Well, believing in Jesus, that's great, but you also need to wear a mask, right? Uh, you also need to do X, Y, Z. You need to vote this way. You need to believe these things in addition. You need to take certain actions. That is not the gospel. The gospel is an objective fact. God sent his son as a human to die for people who believe in him. That's the gospel. The gospel is something that happened. And when we believe that that something happened, it's because God gave us grace to believe and we're miraculously and shockingly saved. It makes in some ways no ethical sense at all. And I'm okay saying that because that's what grace is about. Grace is about this radical break that says your performance means not. You can't be awful, too awful for God. His grace is way stronger. All you need to do is repent and believe. There are implications that do affect who you vote for, that do affect the steps you take in life, that do affect the causes you stand for or fight against, but those are not the gospel. Those are the results of the gospel, and they do matter. But the gospel is something that happened. You with me on this one? Are you tracking? Uh, I'm asking it seriously, like you're with me, right? Gospel is something that happened, and when we believe in it, the power of God is at work in our lives. So if you want to be right with God, if you feel like you're separated from God, 
You know, cleaning up you need to do ahead of time. You need to surrender your heart and say, Lord, I repent. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. When you come to that moment, it means, guess what? You believed it. When you believed it, you'll discover later because God gave you lost to sin. So they're coming in, bad teaching, powerful people. Look at verse 12. Last clause. Paul says, look, Peter stood condemned. He was fearing the circumcision party. Those men from James were now his audience. Peter was from Jerusalem. He was going to go back to live in Jerusalem. He was not living in Antioch. Those are powerful men. James was in some ways probably a little bit Peter's senior in the church. Look at Acts 15. James kind of issues the final verdict. Peter's afraid. He's afraid of them. We've seen Peter buckle before, but let's not throw stones at Peter. Right? Just appreciate how intense this must have been, this pressure on him. Because he's not a hypocrite, but he acted hypocritical. Hypocrisy spreads by absentee leadership in the church in particular. Okay, so this, the beginnings of it is bad teaching by powerful people. But it the floodgates open because Peter is absent as a leader when he needed to be present. Look at the description given to him. Again, back in verse 12, when they came, so beforehand he's eating, he's one, the church is unified. Peter is not pretending he's different. He's not pretending he's clean and they're unclean. He's enjoying fellowship with the Gentile believers in the church. But when these people come, he, they're now his audience. He's afraid of displeasing them. He wants to impress them. And it says he drew back. In the sense of the Greek verbs here is it's a gradual thing. In verse 12, he drew back and separated himself. Right? And it's, it's, he's, it's his passive reaction. He doesn't stand up. He doesn't speak up. Instead, he pulls back. And he goes with them and he starts to live as if, well, I really am a faithful Jew. But they all saw him eating with them before. His hypocrisy is glaring. But the fear in his heart was real. Look, if you feel like you need to impress people because you're afraid of them, you will start to feel that tug and you might become a growing hypocritical person where you're showing one face to one people and another face to another people. And we can't thrive as Christians when hypocrisy starts to drive a wedge between living for the Lord and living for other people. Peter knew so bad. Remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house? Does anyone remember that? I don't want to belabor it, but I'll briefly sketch it out if I need to. Right? He goes there. Before he goes there, he has a vision. He's on a roof. He's hungry. This is like the dream vision if you're hungry. All these animals are spread out on the roof. But the problem is they're not all kosher. And the voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. You know, it's lunchtime. Ding, ding, ding. Eat it all. Peter goes, I can't eat this. He goes, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. Three times, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The final time, the voice from heaven says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Bing. 
light goes off in Peter's head. He starts to get it. The door is knocked on. Gentiles from a house he never would have entered before say, God sent us to you. We need to hear the gospel. Peter is now getting it. He's like, well, learn. I got to go. He goes to the house. He preaches. They receive. The spirit falls. Peter praises the Lord for it. He goes back to Jerusalem. And do you know what they criticized him for? They said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter's been here before. And he told them everything that happened. And they all concluded together. This is Acts 8, 11, or 11, 8. Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What I'm trying to point out is this. Peter had experiential knowledge. He had seen and heard from God himself that no one is unclean by what they eat. God has granted salvation even to the Gentiles. Now, what kind of pressure would it take to give up what you know to be true to try to appease people? It would take intense pressure, wouldn't it? They would have to be truly powerful, significant people. And the problem is when G Peter's eyes should have been on Jesus because he knew the truth. There was one church. Friends, there's one church. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There aren't clean and unclean portions of the body of Jesus Christ. When Peter knew better, he took his eyes off the audience of the Lord and he watched the powerful man and he fell into hypocrisy and he took all the Jewish Christians in Antioch. A number of you lead in this church. You lead in different capacities. Here's my warning to you. If you don't address hypocrisy when you see it, like Peter didn't, you might start leading other people into it. Okay? Would it have been uncomfortable for Peter to speak out against these guys? Obviously. Obviously, right? He's afraid of them. Would it have been good for Peter to speak out? It would have been if you lack courage, you'll find it when you keep your eyes on Christ. When he's your audience, guess what? You can start to see. You see why now he wrote, they seemed influential, they seemed influential, they seemed influential. There was only one influential person in Paul's life. And I'm sure he wasn't perfect. He is moments. Christ. His Savior who died for him. That's who he was living for. So if you're a leader and you see someone heading into hypocrisy, you practice Galatians 6.1, where Paul writes again toward the end of this letter, if anyone is caught in any transgression, right, you get that, if anyone is caught, caught, caught. There's a sense that they're caught, they need help. In any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. If you're a leader in this church, I need you to do that. Okay? I need to do that too. It's part of how we love each other. It's part of how we keep hypocrisy out and integrity in. Gentleness is so important here. Not the club. The club doesn't go very far. Love, truth, patience. The fruit of the Spirit brings about the life of the Spirit in other people. 
I was going to bring a bunch of dominoes, and then I couldn't think of a table surface on here that wasn't bumpy, so I thought they might start falling if I hit the table accidentally. <laughs> and then I thought, well, they're really clean tables over there, but they weigh like 90 pounds. So instead, picture a bunch of dominoes. <laughs> the first domino is Peter. There's about, let's say, 400, 500 dominoes in between. You can see it would have taken a long time to do this. And the last domino is Barnabas. Who went with Saul to Jerusalem? Barnabas. Who was Saul's right-hand man? And originally Saul was his right-hand man, was Barnabas. Even Barnabas got pulled into hypocrisy. How? Well, it wasn't because his audience were the guy from James. And it wasn't because his audience was Peter. He had the right hand of fellowship with Peter. He understood Peter to be essentially his peer in ministry. But once Peter fell, look at verse 13. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So the dominoes, there's probably hundreds of people in this church. This is a large church. They all start falling. Until it says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He's the last one to go. So if the first force is bad teaching by powerful people, and the second force that increases hypocrisy is absentee leadership, the third force is popular pressure. Who is Barnabas's audience? Who's the Jews in the church? Who's the Christians who are Jewish? Who's looking at them, trying to please them? His eyes comes off Christ. Even Barnabas, Paul says, gets knocked over into hypocrisy. And so only Paul is left. And again, I come back and question the theme of courage. You will have courage when your eyes are on Jesus Christ. You first have to examine your own heart, though. Who are the audiences in your life that you're living to please besides Jesus? And are they leading you into hypocrisy? Do they want you to engage in something that's sinful? Because that's what they do. And they want you to be part of it. And you know if you ever say no and you stand against it, they're going to kick you out. You can't quite be in the group you want to be in. That's how it works oftentimes as we enter teenage life. Your peers are engaged in things. And if you feel like you can't be a person of integrity and a genuine Christian in front of that group, then you're going to be tempted to be a hypocrite. And you're going to be tempted to pretend you're one person here and a different person at home. And ultimately, that lie is going to break out into the open someday. And Jesus says, I know you're afraid. I know you lack courage. Look to me. Remember, every day of your life, look to me. I will be your strength. When you are weak, I will be there for you. And if they do kick you out, I never kick you out. You have eternal fellowship with the Lord. And within the church, right? Within the church, we can do this with each other. You might have a mini audience within this audience, and they're the people you really want to impress. So you tell them everything good about your life. But, you know, you may also go along with the gossip and the complaining and the arguing, because that's kind of what that little group does, right? Instead of saying, no, that's not right. We know better. And so all along the way, it's good. We need to hold right each other accountable before the Lord. We need to help each other. We need to help each other. Because none of us is perfect. If 
Barnabas can fall, Peter can fall. I find this passage very encouraging, Pastor Ole. <laughs> I'm like, all right, if these guys can blow it, uh, I'm pretty sure I could blow it, right? I won't be the worst and only one. Pretty sure you could blow it, right? The whole half the church blew it in Antioch, right? And so what we, we also walk away knowing we need Jesus, man, because these forces are real. Bad teaching is present. Powerful people are real. Your desire to impress people is real. Your fear is real, right? Jesus is real. So verse 14, and we're driving to the end here. It says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, right? He was living with them like a Gentile right beforehand and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul did this publicly because the issue is public. His counsel for us was to do it gently and more privately because typically the issues are more gentle and private. But when it's public and when it's big, it needs to be handled at the level that the hypocrisy is at, right? It wouldn't make sense. Peter talks to him all though, right? He says, when I saw that their conduct, looking at the whole thing, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. They're thinking, we gotta do one more thing. We gotta be circumcised, we gotta do this. I said to Peter, because he was the one who opened the floodgates, you're being a hypocrite. I gotta guess that Peter took it pretty well. He has a pretty good track record of responding in a repentant way. We don't know how it ends, but I have a lot of hope because Peter's been called out before and he usually said, you know what, you're right. He was a humble, humble man. All right, so in closing, a couple takeaways here. Hypocrisy's real. It's a real threat to churches. Hold fast to the gospel of truth. Don't let hypocrisy enter into your understanding of salvation by faith alone. Don't let it enter into your understanding of your walk with Christ that you can make peace with sin with these people and then live this way with these people. Be a person of integrity. If you're a leader, if you see someone who's caught in hypocrisy and sin, Address them gently. Don't go absentee on them. Right? Be there for them. Help them. Call it what it is. Realize who your own audience is. Who do you want to impress the most? They're the ones who will most likely tempt you into hypocrisy because you actually care about their opinion. And um, just be on your guard. Be on your guard. These things are real. These forces are real. God's given us the strength we need. Praise Him. And if you need salvation, receive it in Jesus' name. If we could invite the musicians up, we can close with one last song.